Before we get into our podcast, we would like to take this opportunity to give Bingetown's first ever sponsor, Riverside, another huge shout out. We have been doing this podcast for the last four years, and we can never seem to find the perfect recording and editing software that fit all of our content creation needs. That all ended after we discovered Riverside.fm, the best software we found for podcast recording. Riverside is an all-inclusive one-stop shop that allows for professional-level content creation through top-of-the-class features such as video marketing, easy-to-create social media clips, webinars, and automatic transcriptions of the recordings. Another incredible feature of Riverside is local recording, which bypasses poor internet connections to create studio-quality audio and video. Riverside even has an entire library of tutorials called Riverside University to assist in any way possible. If you're a content creation business or even looking to upgrade your audio-video software for more Casual chats with your friends and family, Riverside.fm is a must-have. You can try Riverside for free at Riverside.fm, and you can use the promo code BINGETOWNTV, one word, B-I-N-G-E-T-O-W-N-T-V, for 15% off. We'll leave the link in the promo code in the show notes. Once again, that is Riverside.fm and promo code BINGETOWNTV for a discount. Thanks again to Riverside for being an amazing service for our podcast and sponsoring this episode. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Bingetown TV. My name is Jim, and I'm here with my co-host, Tyler, and the Night Boys have made it through the Night Country. It is time to cover True Detective Night Country, Episode 6, Part 6, the finale. As always, we usually have a little bit of Bingetown housekeeping, but we just want to say thank you to everyone who's been following along for these six episodes. We've had a blast talking to you. All we ask is if you had some fun with us, hit that subscribe button on our main Bingetown TV feed, or just hit us up at BingetownTV.com. All the shows that we've ever covered are there, and all the shows we will cover in the future will be there. So we just want you guys to follow along for the ride. This True Detective feed, it may get some love in the future. We'll talk about that. But, you know, we have a Binstown feed that has everything there. So, again, BinstownTV.com or just check us out, Binstown TV, on any of your favorite podcast apps. So, Tyler, I had a blast with you, fellow night boy. I want to know. I want to get right into it with you. What did you think of this finale? 75 minutes. I was worried. I didn't know if they were going to have enough time. You actually texted me. I didn't even know that they were going to give us that extra 15 minutes. So I appreciated finding that out. What do you think? Let me know. Let's get started. Yeah. So I feel like anytime we've been either favorable or critical of the show, this whole podcast, it's been also with the caveat of like, let's see it end. And then we can go from there. So now we're there. So Jim, settle in. And for all of our listeners out there, appreciate all the love, all the theories. And I think this was a really interesting finale. I have not intentionally looked to see too many critics of it or whatnot, but feels like the uh, response to it is a little bit all over the map. So rather than just going in with my take, because I am also like working through how I feel about this, because there's some positives there's a lot of negatives for me. Yeah, um, heard that. I think maybe what's best is, let me do a quick synopsis, and then why don't we go through, Jim, the bigger mysteries, just so we can make sure we hit on all of them. Okay. And then from there, so we can kind of be synced up on just the facts of this case. We got to sit down, the night boys, we just got to make sure we're on the same page. Yeah. But then I want to talk after that about like what I think really was done well this season, but then things that I really think were done poorly. Yeah. Um, and that, that'll kind of speak for itself how I feel about it. Are you cool with that? I'm down. I'm down, man. I'm ready well, to go. Our finale leads us, like we had mentioned last pod, 
We go right into the ice caves. We've got a Clark sighting before the opening credits. Mm-hmm. We find our murder laboratory. We <laughs> find our murder weapons. We are torturing people with duct tape and old iPods. And uh, <laughs> and ultimately, we are, as viewers, given the answers to a lot of our questions. We have a lot of character development with with our two protagonists, with Danvers and with Navarro, culminating in some vigilante justice, (laughs) uh, some Aurora Borealis from good old Pete, who's dumping his dad's body in the ocean. Under the beautiful night sky. And under the beautiful night sky of a new year. And the classic true detective, two internal detectives questioning one of the detectives to finish us out. So we had a lot of the mystery solved. I know that's super broad strokes what I just went over. But let's go over our impressions, like you said, right? And then we can we can dive into some takes. So look, something that we talk about a lot on this podcast is the writing of this show. The difference between writing, directing, what is good, what is bad. What I will say is the writing of the mystery part of this show, the storyboarding of it, um, I was really happy with at the end. I think it made sense. I think the way they wove in the supernatural, the way they answered the questions that I liked, but when you sit back and we'll get into like the direction of how they answered those and what it actually looked like as the viewer, yeah. um, I was not happy with and was almost like laughing at some parts, to be honest with you. You were saying to me before the pod, like, hey, I think this show holds up better when you binge watch it as Mm -hmm. opposed to week to week, because there were just like feelings week to week that like, you know, there's no answer as to why there's a Christmas tree in that fucking thing. You're not you're (laughs) not going to find that to me. I was hoping it wasn't going to be the case, but when it's all said and done, it was just very obvious to me that this should have been a movie. I think it was going to be a movie. I think they made it a true detective. They added characters to it that relationships didn't pay off. And I think it's the third best of the four true detectives. And um, I liked it. I'm not pissed that I watched it, but this isn't like true prestige TV. To right. Me. Yeah. This isn't going to be sitting there on the Emmys discussion at the end of the day. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Um, To anyone that hit us up after the last pod and thought that we were being too nice, and, you know, there's a lot of people that said overall that we were being too nice to the show, our biggest thing was we're not going to start killing a show or even nitpicking or, well, we'll we'll nitpick if we have to, but I'm saying we're not going to make a judgment. Star-shaped tools. Yeah, we're not going to hit it 32 times with a star-shaped tool until we see what the end is, what the end goal is, what the end game is. So now that we do, now we can give our full thoughts. And yeah, I agree with you 100%. I think this is a binge show. I think that I can enjoy it as a binge show, but there is too many things throughout this show where when you have a week in between each episode, it's just a little bit too much thinking and when you think too much you can think about why certain things aren't great and it really hits you at the end of this season with certain things a lot of eye rolling i think that the rumor was and again i keep saying rumor because i'm not sure if it's 100 proven or not but it was said that this was a show that Issa wrote 
and HBO said, hey, can you please make it True Detective, right? So, listen, yeah. when you yeah. have a show and you call it True Detective, first of all, it's True Detective, so people are going to like put it on a pedestal, right? Even though season two wasn't good, you're still going to put it on the pedestal. But I'm not even talking about quality. I'm talking about the fact that the show is called True Detective, okay? People are going to be expecting detective work. Petey's the only one who really did any kind of detective work, and... If this show didn't have True Detective in front of it, I'm okay. I've been saying it. I'm okay with Supernatural, but I'm not okay with Supernatural answering questions that the detectives should be answering for. Like it's, it's supposed to be detective work, and it's like, oh yeah, just don't worry about it. Supernatural. I, I don't. Yeah, I'm not into that. I mean, that I, I know we'll get into it. I think you and I differ a little that way. Like the supernatural elements of the ending and the, the ambiguity of some pieces is what I enjoyed. Um, but this is the challenge when you make it like, I don't even want to necessarily drop this at the feet of someone like Issa Lopez, for example. But my thoughts are you kind of got to pick what you want to be. And for those of you that have ever seen the movie, there's, there's a movie called wind river, which is like a, a Taylor Sheridan movie. I'm not a Yellowstone guy. It's before those came out. He came out with it, but it's a very good movie and it's similar vibes to yeah. True Detective. And it's almost like with the mystery and the plot and the bigger themes and the metaphor of this movie this, or this show, this could be a two and a half hour movie and really hit the notes on Navarro and on Danvers like it did. But if you want to make it a True Detective I'll just say there's a fucking reason that every other True Detective is eight episodes. Yeah. yeah. And this is where I don't even want to necessarily put it on Issa because maybe they're either adapting it to make it longer. Six episodes in part is due to just the climate of how much it costs to make these fucking shows now. Mm -hmm. Right. But like when you look at the season in totality, yes, the questions get answered. But just like some of the characters and some of the things coming in there, they just don't pay off. And no. That is what leads me to be like, I thought I was watching HBO, not TNT or something, you know, I'm saying? like no offense, but, but this, this is a different expectation that I have watching this show. And yeah, am I going to be a bit prickly about like the particulars? Sure. But that's because like when I go into watching this and hell, I'm watching every episode twice, taking notes on it, doing this podcast, like you're going to find shit. Con I'm signing a contract that this is prestige television. Yeah. And it's just going to leave me feeling a little bit, you know, a little bit uh, cheated when I don't feel like something paid off. And it's even worse when I do think that the show had the emotional beats to solve it, but the format of the show and how they did some of the storyboarding is what left me kind of, it left me flaccid. Let's just be honest. So let's, <laughs> Let's go in and we, we can talk a lot, but look, yeah. let's just let's first start by just talking about the individual mystery yeah. solved, um, because like my subtle nuance take, there is good and bad with everything in this mm -hmm. show. And that's mm -hmm. what makes it, you know, this is a seven out of a, out of 10 show. That's yeah. not a bad thing, but yeah. You know, True Detective season one is a 10 out of 10. Yep. True Detective season three is probably an 8.5 out of 10 to me. So you're kind of taking that step back. And that's what got me a little bit down. So first and foremost, Annie Kay's murder. All right. Sometimes the best answer is in plain sight. Um, we had talked at times about 
maybe the Salal scientists having a role to play in this and their death being their guilt. Um, but it was a little bit more just straightforward than that. Right. Um, yeah. What did you think? So, well, real quick, I want to give a shout out to the ice caves and that whole, the imagery of them sliding through the ice caves with their lights on and different things that way. Um, the cinematography in the show and a lot of the location shooting was just, was top notch. I mean, that is, that, that was incredible. Um, but when we get to our murder lab, which, you know, (laughs) we knew the tunnel, we knew the tunnels were close to Salal station. I think we had posited that they were probably connected. I did like how they did that. Um, and tied in the fact that, you know, Otis Heiss was, working for Salal when he was doing the caves. So there's a reason that they're connected to Salal, but the murder weapon itself was nowhere. You know, we were, we were, we were picking up boots. That's kind of going to the contract we signed, right? Like, I'm not saying that I need you to show me the murder weapon. Um, but you know, in a mystery show, when you make the murder weapon, a big deal in the first episode of star shaped wounds, I don't know. Like I would have liked it to be somewhere in there at some point. Like you could have never guessed. Oh yeah. Like clearly this law scientist used a star shaped drill bit to drill into the ice. Like, the yeah, fuck? you know, like you just said, you don't have to show me the weapon throughout and I don't have to necessarily guess it, but This is going to be jumping around because I know it's going to be nitpicking another part, but you show it to me, we go into the lab, they're like, oh, there it is, pick it up, there it is, it's star-shaped, and then you just have a scenario where, like, okay, it's a piece of the drill bit that's sitting on the table in the lab, okay? Now we have one of the justice ladies spill her bucket onto the floor, decide that there's some kind of secret hatch, figure out how to pull the lever to open it then open it, then decide she's nosy as shit and wants to go down there. And then she herself just goes like, oh, what's this on the table? Star-shaped? Whoa, <laughs> they must have freaking killed her. And now we're, we're going to get our justice ladies and we're going to bust their ass. Well, you were, you were saying that Pete was the true detective. I would, I would posit yeah, yeah, that right. Alaskan ladies with three jobs that are dual Working their ass off. Yeah, that are working their fucking ass off as cleaners, working in crab shacks. They're the true detectives in this show, right? This is the perfect point of what I mean by the difference between writing and directing, okay? If I tell you, if I say, Annie Kay finds this laboratory, sees what they're doing in a fit of rage, having to deal with these stillborns and all the effects of these pollutants, she destroys the research. Dr. Lund, who is a reclusive scientist, also loses his mind. There's a frenzy. He stabs her. The other scientists jump in. It's a terrible accident. They don't know what to do with it. Right. If I say that, you're like, holy shit, that sounds like exactly, that's a really good answer to the question here. But then if I say, well, the way I'm going to show you it is instead, we're not doing anything through the perspective of Clark beforehand, but we're just going to cut to him waking up in bed, coming down. Lund is essentially playing a Bond villain. Like, yeah. you killed my research. Like, now yeah. I've got a smirk on my face. And the these old... I, I wrote down in my notes, Revenge of the Nerd <laughs> Revenge of the Nerds 5, Night <laughs> Country, <laughs> because it just felt like they just 
tried to have their cake and eat it too. Like, oh, let's have all of these other scientists jump in and do it. They all do it. Even I could buy that. But then you've got like, like Lund's sinister look. It just, if you showed me the perspective of Lund finding her doing that and showed the rage, that would make me buy it more. And then you also just to go along with like the Wheeler, you know, false narration stuff. She's clinging to life after being stabbed 32 times. And then, you know, Clark has to put her out of her misery. I just, I liked the answer. Yeah. This is the frustrating. I liked the answer. I fucking hated the way they filmed. Like that was bullshit. Yeah. I mean, fuck, I mean, fuck's sake. Yeah. You're talking about the evidence. The trumpet they found was probably the same one they stabbed her with, but they, they didn't care about the cell phone. He's got the cell phone. He's got, you know, what the actual fuck? Like, I just, I, I like the answer, but I just thought the way it was filmed was garbage. I, yeah. I don't know. It's just not what I was looking for. I don't want to be too critical, but it's just like uh, you take something that's a plausible explanation and then you display it that way. I don't understand that. Like, I love how you're saying this because that's exactly my thoughts. Like, are you satisfied with the conclusion? There are answers that they gave us, and I'm like, Yeah, I mean, yes, I didn't think you're going to be able to give me something where in my head I was like, okay, cool, you got me. It was good. I I didn't really think this was going to be the answer, but it makes sense that this is the answer. But but then there's plenty of things where I'm rolling my eyes because, like what you said, how they show it to us and then even how it's figured out later. You know, some of the ways that they figure it out, again, I already kind of alluded to it with the cleaning ladies just spilling a bucket and, you know, oh, there's the water. Let me just uh, decide the be nosy as shit and figure out a way to get into the secret. We'll get into the justice ladies, but yeah, Yeah. I mean, it is, I mean, and think about it. So Annie in a fit of rage destroys this lab, which again, totally buy that. Then she composes herself after destroying the lab, takes out her phone and goes, Hey guys, my name is Andy Kodak. I just fucked this lab up. Like, when I'm saying it this way, it makes it sound ridiculous, right? But yeah, like, right. We filmed it where she like destroys like the mechanical arm, which they said took two years to rebuild. She could have destroyed that and then been like composed herself and been like, I got to take this video. I got to get proof. And then that's when Lund finds her. And there's like a more like mad. You can't have this grisly 32 stab wounds manic thing. But then like, Everybody seems to be within their right mind. Like, oh, I'm going to destroy it. Then I'm going to take a video. Oh, now Lund is going to kill me, but then he's going to get away. And then everybody's going to gasp and she's still alive and I'm going to smother her. It's like so ham fisted. Yeah. That's what pisses me off more because I just feel like the answer is the writing is good. Yeah. Just not executed in a way that it makes me as I'm watching it be like, that is actually good. I could see the storyboard and being like and buying into it. But that whole scene, I mean, that just it didn't do it for me. I mean, Clark, I don't know who that actor was. That's a pretty big role. We're chasing him. He's the guy that we're looking for the whole series. Mm-hmm. And then you got to live up to it. Works, the way it works out that, that he's got to, you know, he's got to produce because he's the one telling us everything. Well, he goes from, I'm not telling you shit. Then they <laughs> put the, the skull candy, whatever you want to call yeah. it in, in his ears, which I like that part. Then they take it off and he's just like, I'll tell you everything. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that transition was cracking me up. He's just like, like he didn't have to regain himself. They took it off and they're like, you ready to talk now? And he's like, I'll tell you whatever you want. Yeah, like, right. When you talk about eye roll, I don't think 
my eyes rolled harder than uh, when he bust time as a flat circle out. I, I was texted like, you. I wasn't looking at my phone because I was watching it a little late. <laughs> I saw it afterwards, and I'm like, that's the only thing you texted me was just, yep. and he's always here. Time is a flat circle. I'm like, you didn't need to do that. It was cool just having Russ's father connection because Alaska is Alaska. I thought that was really cool. I mean, you don't need to give me Carcosa. You didn't need to give me time as a flat circle. I mean, don't throw that out at me at the last second. I brought this up last episode, and even more so after this episode, it just seems to me that they said, hey, please, can you make a true detective? And she's like, all right, let me just find a few things I can add in. And Tuttle, I'm fine with Tuttle. Tuttle's yeah. good. Make it exist in the same world, fine. I'm actually differing with you. I didn't need Travis at all, to be honest. Like, I don't need Russ. I don't need any connection. You can just say it's in Alaska and just not even bring up Russ's dad. I don't really care. Carcosa I'm just saying sim- if you wanted to make the link, I thought that was fine. If you want to, if it's like, this is a supernatural show, let's get Russ's father but, in it. I thought that was fine. Yeah, well, we're going to have a freaking part of this podcast called Supernatural. We need to talk about it because there's plenty <laughs> of stuff where yes and no. Yes, I'm okay. No, I'm not okay. And I have a list here and we'll get into it. Well, so... At that piece where you're kind of where you're figuring out that part of the mystery, right? They go in and, and do a little explanation on the mind's involvement, which you know I actually did enjoy. Right? Um, we had Dick Ebert is one of the individuals that was in our chat, and he made some great points just about the permafrost situation. Um, for those of you that also have to Google permafrost, it's <laughs> ground. It's ground that is frozen or below freezing for two plus years. So again, that piece of it I like too. Like logically makes sense. They're driving the mine to increase pollutants, to make the permafrost, make it easier for them to mine what they're looking for. Kind of goes back to the first thing we were talking about in the first episode, the microbiology piece of things. That checked out for me. Well, we also, we go from this into what I think is the best part of this episode and where this episode did a great job for me is everything in the middle with Navarro and Danvers. Maybe you disagree, but I loved the cut-ups. And I think when it came to, you know, we wanted to know what happened with Navarro's son. We wanted to know what happened with Wheeler. I think they did. You said Navarro, but yeah. I wanted to know what happened with Danvers' son. Excuse me. Did Navarro have a son? Who knows? Kavik? Yeah, Kavik, <laughs> our boy. out there. That part of the character building I thought was the strongest piece of the episode. And I want to go a little bit more into it, but do you agree with me on that? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I liked everything between Danvers and Navarro. That's the supernatural portion of the show that I was fine with for the most part. Anything that has to do with... I know you're not specifically talking about that, but I, but I mean just the, the, the two of them coming back together, the relationship that they eventually make together they kind of rebuild i guess even the holden stuff where she says like puts her hand on the eye and says i see you i thought that was a good payoff you know that's something that proves to danvers that navarro had to have seen something because that's an inside thing between just her and her son all that kind of stuff yes i was fine with all that and danvers you know, she saw her son in the ice. That's why yeah. she went into it. So she became a believer in that moment. And to your point, like what I wrote down when I was thinking about that part was right. we got Jodie Foster. 
Like, fucking use her. And they did. The scene of her telling her not to say Holden's name, her talking about Wheeler, and you seeing that Navarro just kills the shit out of him, which they juked us on that. And again, you can't be mad, because I think last pod I was talking about, oh, you know, the direction that he's facing, but the whole thing is an unreliable narrative, right? So um, even the baby crying after they kill him, which to me just symbolized like, right away they felt the consequence of what they did, right? Like there's a kid there and you're just killing the guy. And finally, I did really like when Navarro is walking and the scene of her being back in this war zone. So it's also like symbolic of her PTSD and overcoming that. But then she gets her, her Akka from her mother. That's what her mother is telling her to listen for all this time, right? Mm -hmm. So the end result being... Danvers says at one point when they're talking about PD, you know, he's fucked for life. And she says, you'll be surprised what people can live through. Right. Right. Um, All of that. I really enjoyed when I look back on this season, like the enjoyment I have is I do think it was a great dialogue and character building for Jodie Foster's character Danvers and for Callie Reese's character Navarro. Um, That's even more to the point of why I'm saying this could be a movie or an eight episode because give me more of that. You can flush out the additional characters. I don't want to like poo poo some of the, some of the scenes without really giving that those middle scenes their flowers. Cause I thought they just did a, uh, I thought they did a great job there. And Holden, it's a nice Holden, you know, holding the hatch, that metaphor Again, little on the nose, but that gets us to see the fingerprints and put together the montage of, of our girl with, with eight fingers. Mm-hmm. So that's going to bring us up to our second solve. Who killed the Salal scientist? Well, I want to give it to you on this one because yeah. this has a supernatural bend to it. You know, even when you tie the tongue in, what did you think of, of that scene? So the actual first reveal, okay when it shows them busting in and just tearing shit up, I was pumped for it. I actually was very like, justice, baby. I actually was down for that. But again, it's one of those things where you got to go back and think, right? So to me, the first thing here is, you said the hold in, hold the hatch thing. That was a little on the nose. I'll allow that. You know, Danvers is the one who's going to catch things like that. We have been talking about it all season, the mayonnaise, different things like that. But grab me this random chemical and get the UV light that just so happens to be in the same room that we needed. And we're going to immediately be able to see the three fingers just sitting there. And oh, my gosh, it's Blair. Eh, I don't know. You know, I feel like that was just like, oh, we need to rush and get to the point. And um, they are true detectives. They are true detectives. If Petey figured it out, I would have allowed it. Yeah, Petey just comes in. He goes, "Who's trying to open that hatch?" And yeah. like, he just cracks the whole case wide open. And not to not to cut you off too, but yeah, for all the ask the right fucking questions segments we did, I did enjoy the question that they weren't asking that we weren't yeah. asking is who else knows who killed Annie K? Right, uh, which paid off. But sorry, so they bust in. You're enjoying it, yeah. How yeah. Did- so it's almost like exactly what you said with the Annie K reveal, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like everything about it, I'm like, cool, this is, I'm down with this, right? But then you try to weave it in to make it make sense to the narrative that they've been telling us through the whole season, which, okay, number one, we were literally told, Tyler, literally told that these scientists were not frozen to death. They were not, right? When you are frozen to death, 
the vet says, I've seen this before, it's like going to sleep. They were scared to death, right? Well, yeah, they were freaking scared as hell when these ladies came in, but they ran out into the, the tundra like they were told to and then froze to death or she got them, right? There's the supernatural part of it. But, you know, I'm going to go with there's no supernatural there and they just froze to death. But I like the whole thing, though, where they said, we are going to let them go. And if she wants to let them live, they'll live. They fold the clothes. They leave the shoes. We leave it all there for them. If they come back, cool, right? That kind of stuff is fine, but I'm not okay with being told that they didn't freeze to death and then just be like, they froze to death. I know that you can go about it and say like, yeah, how do you know they froze to death? It could just be that they ran out and then, you know, the the supernatural got them because they deserved it because it's justice, but... Eh. Well, I'm actually going to disagree a little bit just on... When you're saying the same thing, like, and I'll tell you why, I really like the writing of this reveal. Yeah. So, like I did before, let me frame it in the way that it was probably written versus the way that it was actually yeah. performed, right? So, we've got seven years to figure this out, and guess what? The true detectives in the show, all joking aside, are these beaten down women that are working three jobs, dealing with you know, with sexual assault and all these different things just survive, but they are intelligent, strong women that are able to, you know, I actually liked how like there's a cleaning lady, like taking a picture of the star shaped wounds and things like that. It's showing like, look, these aren't just fucking robots walking around doing yeah, this right. that, yeah. task. I like these that. These are intelligent people that also care about what's happening here. So we've got these women and they band together and they take these reclusive fucking scientists and they get them out of Salal. They, they take them into the ice and whatever happens, happens. And going back to what you said, I'm actually okay with a little ambiguity in the sense that when we talk about logic, okay, first off, you've told me this is what people look like when they're scared to death. They were pretty fucking terrified as they're getting pushed out, right? Mm -hmm. Also, you talked to me about a slab avalanche, which we know it wasn't what happened, but in that explanation, they are talking about the realities that when people are going through severe hypothermia, they can be erratic, they can claw their own eyes out, whatever. Um, and I liked how the way the woman worded it was, you know, we've let him out on the ice and it was up to Annie whether she wanted to eat their fucking dreams from the inside out and spit mm. out their frozen bones. That was... I thought that that paid off. So the story itself is good, but the way that, to your point, like you didn't even have to show me her go down into the thing and find the, yeah. I, I would have bought that they were intelligent enough to just figure that out the same way that Danvers and everybody else did. Right. All you had mm -hmm. to show me was the fact that they took a picture of the star shaped wounds, which I right. liked. And then I wrote down, I wrote down SEAL Team 6, Alaskan cleaning women. Like, it was just like, what? they like come yeah. in like, dun, 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 dun. like that scene, you could say whatever you want about it. Uh, my wife was kind of telling me that she liked that, how it was put together and that she was like, yeah, let's do it. But that's what I said. But I mean, I it mean, is, fine, yeah. whatever you can go with it. That one wasn't to me as bad as like the Lund vicious murder scene, but I just thought that that same explanation could have happened in a little bit different way. I do also want to point out uh, one of the things I saw just in, in writing after the episode was that all of the women who played a role in that 
in that whole scene are actual like activists. And one of them is a artist who actually wrote and performed the song that plays when they run in. So like, oh, okay. I thought that was actually significant that like mm-hmm. outside of Blair and the other woman who uh, I can't recall her name off the top of my head, but were the actors. Yeah. Then yeah. And all these other women are actually significant women in the native culture between Canada and Alaska and Europe where they're shooting. So it's just like, I don't know. My brother, Zach, who you might know from our Barry pods, which is very much a prestige TV show. Let me add, <laughs> he wrote in that he thought he, he could hear the Benny Hill music playing when, when they came in to get the scientists. Like, yeah. bam, 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 like <laughs> as they're rounding them up, I was, like, I was dying laughing. But All right, yeah, well, let, let me ask you this question, Tyler. <laughs> so, okay. Um, these scientists found frozen to death. They clawed their eyes out. They bit their hands off. They're butt ass naked. Whatever you know, they gave us some answers with who wrote the Carcosa symbol on the head. All that stuff. That's fine. We figured out why the f- clothes were folded. Perfectly fine with that because I do like I like you said I like the fact that the end game was that these ladies decided to just give their own vigilante justice and say. Sending them out to Annie. If Annie decides they can come back, their clothes are waiting for them, folded nicely for them. You know, that's fine. Like, I'm good with that. But here's my question, okay? We have the, this result of what they look like, and, you know, whatever. We're told that they didn't die from being frozen. It is what it is. But are we just to assume now that Otis was stranded and everyone froze to death except him? <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the thing. What we're burned talking, his eyes out? What burned their eyes out? If we're talking about the finale in isolation, then that's good. But if we start to pull back to the past episodes, which is what this is the point that you were making earlier, yeah. that's what it starts going. Same way that if we're pulling a thread, the same way that I was complaining about not really caring about Julia when she when she died and wanting more time with Julia so that I could really... You know, rather than her just being the reason Navarro can't go to the lighthouse to get Otis Heiss. Yeah. There was a lot of that in this, right? Like, at the end of the day, they they didn't solve the murders, right? They figured out who did it. Well, they did solve Annie K. They solved Annie K's murder. Yeah. They didn't solve the law scientist murder. They just like went on a journey that like to force Pete to murder his dad. Yeah. Essentially. <laughs> it's just like Jesus Christ. Navarro like, Navarro's like, all right, I really went on a journey and I understand myself now. I'm gonna I'm gonna embrace the supernatural portion of my life. I have my name now. I'm gonna go off and do my thing. Danvers is like, I came to my conclusion that I have to accept my son. I have a better relationship with my girl Navarro. And P's like <laughs> Yeah, that sucks, man. I mean, meanwhile, I I wrote so in the beginning. So let's go to Pete real quick. Yeah, Um, poor Pete. Just you know, they couldn't even let him have like the crying scene at the end to end last episode. They had to like get his ass in gear and get him to start cleaning last episode. Um, but even then, he's you know missing fucking teeth in the wall, which is which is a tough one. Um, Pete drops Leah back off, sees Kayla. Didn't I need any of this. Just, just go. Do what you got to do. Yeah, Kiss like, on the lips. I, and... I don't know if the Kayla scene was like they didn't have it and then they just got like AI to make it using Grey's Anatomy dialogue. Like, <laughs> I don't know what that was supposed to It was just go do it and then you be safe, you motherfucker. I love <laughs> you. And it's just like, 
Okay, so he was kicked out of the house for exactly long enough time to kill his dad. Yeah. That's essentially, <laughs> that was a real big punishment that he had going on in his marriage. But it brings in Fiona Shaw, um, Rose Again, Agnall. This one, this one I know is cutting you deep, Tyler. Yeah, so so look, I kept saying, there's more meat on the bone for Rose Agnall. She's got to be involved. She's, it's, she's such a great actress, and we, there's so many things we don't know. And if we're going with the theory that this was a, its own show, then they made it a true detective, then I'm going with the theory as well that Rose Agnall was just completely added in. Because the only, you know, yes, she sees Russ Cole's father, Travis, his ghost, and takes them to the bodies. Well, the bodies could have been found without, without There's a helicopter that, right? in the air. They, yeah, the they helicopter were... could have found them. And then all throughout, like, yes, she was the old wise lady that gives us some some good thought exercises about the difference between mental illness and spirituality. It's not like she was completely pointless, but to me and any of our prestige viewers out there, I hope that you've watched the show Mayor of Easttown last yeah. year if you, or two years ago, maybe three years ago at this point. If you didn't watch it, it's a great watch, but she reminded me of like Guy Pierce. Guy Pierce is in yeah. Mayor of Easttown and he's important, but not at the same time. And right. it's like, wow, HBO has got so much money. They're just getting Guy Pierce in for like some light work. Yeah. Um, that's, that's meanwhile, what was happening in this? I, I was thinking Such right light work bat, for like, Fiona Shaw. Yeah, Such like, light work, especially in this finale. It's just like, look away. I'm going to burst his lungs so that he doesn't float. And she, she basically is like this, this is going to suck, man. It's You think it sucks now? It's going to be worse. Look up at the sky. Enjoy it. And then it's like over. Yeah, that's the thing. Why tell us about her past life? Uh, yeah, I could have taken I could have taken a complete unknown in that role to get the show back the rate that they paid for Fiona Shaw. So maybe they can make two more episodes. Yeah, <laughs> right? Right? It was just like, I just am a little bit uh, left cold that that's what Fiona Shaw did in the show yeah. um, mm -hmm. and and Pete's just like oh I did patricide and now I'm out here just and nothing got fucking solved and I'm a detective baby let's fucking go like, yeah and I didn't change anything about who I am as a detective like he basically still yelled at Kayla and was like I, I gotta do this I'm going to do this Kayla don't give me shit <laughs> like and then it didn't turn into like I understand at the end he's like laying with his son and stuff and it's supposed to show that maybe he's spending more time with his family but at the same time really it didn't have like the scene where he's like Kayla I get it I'm sorry after this I'm done I'm gonna focus on the family it was just like Kayla you gotta let me do what I gotta do I need your help like and she's like yeah what, you go. Did, what about what he said made Kayla forgive him that's yeah. what I'm She's it's just, just like, like you go. Like, you know what, Kayla? Let me go. And she's like, yeah. "God damn, that's all I needed you to say this whole time." I, I love like, you. What was the? I just couldn't understand that. But yeah, um, there's just not really much to talk about the amazing acting in the in the middle of the episode. So it's kind of right. the beats of the show is what we got to go off of. But we do get our time jump, Jim. We get our time jump. I mm -hmm. do love, you know, some good old fashioned True Detective camera interrogation of of danvers where danvers can just lay out you know the realities of the plan that they were doing which was leave otis body in the car create that narrative that hank you know went off and he will never be found i did enjoy that in this quick scene with her and leah showing that she's got a better relationship with leah now right it looked like leah did have the traditional right. tattoo on her chin which Again, just showing that acceptance from Danvers of pushing past the 
unfortunate passing of her son and and lover, but also embracing Leah, embracing her culture. And Navarro is gone. I did like the reveal of the phone, right? Because before Clark goes out and kills himself, we don't know what happened. And it did make sense that Navarro was smart enough to get essentially a, a taped confession from him before she would let him commit suicide. Weirdly enough, Tyler, now I don't know if this matters to you. I guess it really doesn't matter to me that much. But I mean, the Clark that we see on the phone has like no blood on him. He looks pretty damn clean. I, I thought that the first watch, but I will say when I watched it a second time, if you're really looking for it, it looks like it was filmed the same day. Okay. They took, okay. And they took the duct tape off him. So, because that was my first, when I watched it on the first go, I was like, when was this filmed? <laughs> but then when I did rewatch it, particularly looking at okay, like, his okay. face still fucked up and it was. So okay, good, I will good. give it that. All right, I will give I'll take it, it. And we're left with the, with the, I'm going to call it the town ending with, I'll see you. I'll see you. This side of the other. Um, yeah. It was the, nobody ever really leaves Ennis with Navarro and Danvers. You know, you're, you're meant to believe that Navarro took her life, right? Oh, you think that? I don't. Okay, well, let's, let's, let's go. Let's talk we'll, about it. Let's talk yeah, about so it. Yeah, so that's actually very interesting because I was on TikTok Live last night, and the question that I got most, 90% of the questions that I got, is Navarro alive? And my response was that I took it that she basically was in Ennis. She had her mother pass away. She had her sister take her own life. She finally accepted her fate of being who she is, whether it's mental illness or supernatural. I guess we're going to go with supernatural now. She's going to accept that, but she also finally served the purpose that she's been trying to serve for seven years, and she finally figured out, and she gave justice to Annie, and there's nothing left for her except for my boy Kavik, how she totally sandbagged him. I freaking yeah, love that guy. Kavik, she sandbagged God. the hell out of him. Leaves him all a Kavik did was find them all over to Gok, and that's all he gets. And then he's <laughs> left with a SpongeBob toothbrush back. God so, damn it. So, yeah, like I took it literally as like there's nothing left for her there, and she's just going to go off. Now, here, Tyler, um, I understand a couple things that are problems with this, right? Number one is why leave Kavik? Because you could just say, I'm going, come with me, right? That's like the softest problem. That's not even a big deal. But, you know, when you're Navarro and you leave your house empty, you leave the phone there, Danvers gets it, you're going to out this whole scenario with Clark and you're going to disappear in the middle of a scenario where, you know, Clark dies there's murders, there's this and that. And obviously the internal affairs thing is saying, where's Navarre? Because it looks like she should be guilty because she ran off, right? So you're making yourself look guilty by running off. But um, I honestly think that she was alive and she rolled out. I just think that there's nothing left for her. So you think that Danvers in the cabin at the end was like Navarro's spirit or whatever? So look, first off, I will say that I don't think that there's a right answer here. Yeah. Um, Which again, that's what I actually... We're talking about the good and the bad here, and I know we're shitting on certain parts, but like I did like that ending. My interpretation was when Danvers copes with the reality of the trauma in her with her son, and the fact that you know she's a becomes a believer in the spirit world, having seen, you know, thinking that she saw her son in the ice, and she says, you know, look, you got to do what you got to do, just don't don't ever leave me. Well, she says always come back. Yeah, same thing. Yeah, always come back. I took it as Navarro at this point was tired of, you know, holding that hatch, as she would say. And yeah. 
and walked out into the into the tundra, took her own life, and is still at this point just kind of like at the end she was a spirit. I don't think, but you can poke holes in that the same way that I can poke holes in what right. you said, right? Yeah. And that's the point of it. I, I think it's interesting. I don't know what. I took it the other way though. I took it as like her spirit will live on in in Ennis, but she she's gone. So don't you think though that when it comes to the conversation they had and you know Julia in general, don't you think that the natural, if you want to say happy ending, would be that she would not take her life because she accepts who she is now? Like holding the hats to me meant I'm holding back against what I'm seeing and what I'm listening for. And now I'm just going to accept that it's not actually evil. It's not actually bad. I'm just going to be who I am. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of the spiritual stuff, I took it more as like a lot of the spiritual aspect was, you know, they do a good job throughout the show of playing that she does not have an Akka. She does not feel like, you know, she doesn't feel like a native. So she's kind of lost. And a lot of the spiritual side of things was in giving her her identity almost, right? And helping her get over that PTSD and move past it. But at the same token, like, she's part of a family that's dealing with mental illness and different things that way. And I almost felt like it was like a release for her Mm -hmm. to, to use her Akka with someone of native descent and feel a part of that when they were getting the confession from seal team six, Alaskan cleaning ladies. But I could perfectly see that she would leave and, and just kind of lead this whole fucking town in her rear view as well. I don't, I mean, either way, if that's the case, if you're saying that she left the whole, the whole town, then you know, you're you're imagining that you're seeing a ghost of her in Ennis at the end with, uh, with Danvers anyway. Because why would she be in Ennis at the end? <laughs> well, I mean, she leaves, but she can be anywhere. I mean, oh, she so can come back. Just, now she's just bouncing back. She's like, yeah. I mean, Danvers says always come back, dude. She could have a spot with Danvers, a cabin. It's not like that's Danvers' house. It's a cabin. It could be a secluded cabin that they agree to meet at. Which is what makes. This the ending was satisfying. To me. Yeah, I thought they so, did a good job because that that is a non-answerable question. This that- is one of those things, Tyler, that I will one hundred percent say unanswerable question. Perfectly fine. We're good. They literally say Danvers says in her interview some questions are not going to be answered. Right, and to me, cool, but also a little bit of an eye roll because there's certain things that you can't just tell me. Hey. Danvers says things can't be answered, so maybe you guys as the watchers need to just chill the hell out and not ask the questions like where the hell's the tongue and or who cut the tongue out and all that bullshit. You know, the tongue was such a big part of the show. You cannot tell me that it's going to be <laughs> ambiguous and that Annie Kay may have her spirit may have come and left her own tongue. And you can't tell me that Danvers is sitting there looking at the ice or whatever is left on the floor. And Navarre yeah, like distracts her. Yeah, the saliva. Navarre distracts her. She hits her head and she's just like, oh, yeah, yeah, whatever. I'm going to move on. I, I, the tongue stuff, let's talk about it, Tyler. I'm- That's another one where there's no like playbook for what I'll buy into in terms of supernatural stuff. But for me, what I thought was good about the supernatural pieces that actually mattered in this show were similar to like what we're saying with Navarro at the end. They gave you enough where there could be a logical explanation. But they're also like like what I was saying with the scientists. They could have been so afraid with the hypothermia, they became manic, tore their eyes out. They could have hypothetically been killed by the spirits. I like the things that are giving you like both logical answers and 
not logical answers. So like when it comes to Clark, he says, I didn't leave that tongue there or I didn't ever cut her tongue out. But we also know that he lied to them about smothering her too. So maybe Clark was the one that, that did it in my yeah. mind. The cleaning ladies, they're obviously telling their own side of the story. So they could have done it. And you could also make the case that Hank did it yeah. and left it behind at the scene with Danvers when they first get there out of, you know, his remorsefulness for, for what he had done. Right. So I believe that they gave you three plausible, logical answers, which is why I was okay with it on the, mm-hmm. I'm with you. Like the first go around, I was like, what about the tongue? But then the second go around, I'm like, you know what? There are three logical answers, but there's also a fourth answer, which is, you know, that was the spirit's call to that. She was awake. And to me, at least, that's what I'm fine with. I'm fine not knowing. That's one thing. That's one piece of the mystery that we don't get to know. And that's actually fair for me. It's okay. Like, you can talk me into that, and I'm fine. Because, again, we're not saying... I'm talking you into that already. I feel like you're like, you know what? Yeah, I mean, Tyler, I'm a night boy with you, man. You got a lot of sway (laughs) with your boy, you know? So, okay. All right. I'm not against that. It's just that... I'm not big on ambiguous answers when something like the tongue is such a big deal for five episodes. I mean, how many times does Danvers be like, what about the tongue? What about the tongue? You know, I I get it. You're Maybe not some... Oliver to ducks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Of... Well, all right. Before we move on to Oliver, and I'm not moving away from Otis either, but let me just read this to you because Issa Lopez did an interview with LA Times with... You know, a lot of publications about, you know, the finale and the L.A. Times says, I've watched the finale twice now. I'm still trying to figure out how literally I should interpret the final shot. Danvers and Navarro on the porch. I assume you wanted to leave us with a mystery to think about. So tell me about it. And she said, I think the entire series has two readings. One of them is that everything is connected to the supernatural. The other one is that there's absolutely nothing supernatural happening. The dark brings its own madness and neurosis to some characters. The men walking onto the ice, you can go what they froze to death in a flash freeze, and they had paradoxical undressing and delirium because of hypothermia, or they walked onto the ice and faced the thing they woke up by being in the wrong place, meaning obviously supernatural yeah. and ex- yep. et cetera, right? But the other thing it says is the other unresolved mystery is the tongue. How does that fit in? And she says, same thing. If we're going to go with the supernatural story, Hank is the one that dumps Annie's body and cuts out the tongue. He leaves the tongue there and the tongue disappears. No one ever finds it until six years later. In the moment that the scientists face their fate, the tongue reappears because it's time to tell the story that was silenced before. Was it Annie's ghost? Question mark. And then she says, if you're going to go rational, Hank cuts out the tongue and leaves it there. And then the body is found not by Navarro. Navarro is the first cop of the scene, but she's not the first person at the scene. The community is. In my mind, the women find Annie and they cannot take her body, but they can keep her tongue in a gesture of kindness for their friend. Danvers says it's some unusual cellular damage. It could be from freezing. They keep the tongue, they freeze it. And when they go into the research station to attack the scientists, they leave it there. Full circle, time to pay. You can decide which one you believe. So almost both of them go with Hank is the one who cut the tongue out, right? But here's the thing. You didn't say anything about that in the show, but you're giving us the answer. uh, Well, first off, I'm loving that my interpretation of these scenes is exactly what was intended, which I think that's that's how, how it's meant to be. And that's what I like about it. I mean, why do you think Hank's not capable of cutting her tongue out is my question. No, no, that's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is that both of her answers, supernatural and rational, are the first part of the answer is that H- Hank definitely cut the tongue out. Mm-hmm. But how do we come to that conclusion? 
Like, you gave me three, four conclusions. Only one of them has Hank cutting the tongue out, which, again, is fine, but she's making it seem like it should be obvious that Hank cut the tongue out, and the next part is what's up for interpretation, and you didn't give us that at all in the show. Yeah, I mean, that's that's fair. I'm still going to choose to take it, because, look, it's my... Yeah, it's, it's your interpretation, my, it's dude. My interpretation. I can take it all three ways, but I get what you're saying. Um, I think... It's a nitpick on her critique of it, which that's one of the logical conclusions that you could make to her point, right? It's she almost it just logical and supernatural, but yeah, and it's almost just like what you were saying about the murder weapon, right? You tell us about this murder weapon right away, and we're like, now we're going to look for it. Well, one of the first things that we see that makes something look sketchy and it's a homicide is this tongue, right? Mm-hmm. We see the tongue, and we're like, Jesus, there's a tongue cut out, and it's on the floor. It just doesn't feel right to me that that's one of the things you leave. Yeah, I guess it open-ended. couldn't have been Hank putting it there. It would have been, had to be the cleaning ladies because I forgot. I thought it was found by Danvers, but it's found by the guy with the Funyuns. Yeah, <laughs> the, the supply guy. So it would have to be put there by, in my theory, the, the justice ladies. Yeah. So, all right. Now, before we tie everything up, let's just quickly, quickly. I mean, we've done enough Beaton's dead horses, right? But I want to talk about the supernatural thing, Tyler, because I've been harping on it this entire season, and I need to get everything off my chest now that I have an answer, okay? So I'm just going to name some things, and you can tell me if I'm out of line, if I'm in line, if you don't give a shit, and we'll just, we'll just hash it out, right? So I don't really have an order here, but number one is Clark, right? This isn't fully supernatural. This is actually a little sidebar, but... Clark, he didn't seem like a guy that took a trailer and turned it into uh, Carcosa Shrine with a mummified... I mean, I 100% agree with you on that. I was expecting, like, a deranged lunatic. Yeah. And that was why I was laughing, like, when they took the duct tape off the second time, and he's just like, what do you want to know? Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, right? Like, what? I thought he like, was going to be fucking nuts. I think like that's, he's, the, I he's think that's wild. the actor. He's wild because he still thinks, like, yes, Annie killed everybody like he believes that and again maybe he's right i mean that, that's what we don't know but he is wild you have to accept that he is there's something going on because he believes that whether it's right or wrong but he seemed rational enough where the fact that they're showing me this cool ass scene that we really liked when we saw it, but the trailer you know of this shrine with a mummified body and what was he <laughs> yeah. doing and why you know so anyway whatever okay Continuing Agreed. with the Clark stuff, okay? Why does he do the shake thing and then say she's yeah. awake? Why did and they he, show us that again? I didn't yeah. like that scene either. So she's awake, Tyler. Makes sense to Clark, right? These scientists, whether they're feeling guilty deep down or not, they're making TikToks, they're doing their damn thing, right? They're living the dream while Clark randomly just decides to have a seizure and say she's awake, okay? Now, she's awake throughout this show, I just said it makes sense to Clark because he firmly believes that Annie is coming to get them, right? He feels guilty for killing Annie and she is coming to get them. Now, Lund, Tyler, comes back to life or he's not dead. And the zombified Lund says not one word about like these damn cleaning ladies took us out. He says she's awake and we woke her. He knows what happened to him. He knows why he is frozen to death. I don't get it. Now, why does She's Awake go to Danvers? That shouldn't make any sense to Danvers when her son said it to her in her ear and he puts his arm around her in the bed. The She's Awake thing is just a theme throughout the show that makes no sense to me. It only makes sense to Clark. I don't like that supernatural portion of it. 
I don't care that Supernatural exists, but I need them to connect for a reason, and it needs to make logical sense. Yeah, I, I'd agree that they were trying to force that piece of the she's away, but I'm also going to, I just don't, that's like a minimal yeah, you don't care. to me. Yeah, don't you don't care. care. And that's fine. I had forgotten about who even said she's awake by the end, but you d- you did make a good point. The Lund thing is just hilarious to me because he's just like, could have been like, what the fuck? It was like, damn clearly. The thing I'll say is do not create an angry mob with your friend with only eight fingers. That's yeah, just, right? you know, that friend needs to be on the sidelines or maybe she's the one driving the truck, but do not let her do any of the heavy lifting. Yeah. Because that's yeah. just, a recipe for disaster. But yeah, I'm with you on that. So this isn't supernatural, but I just need to ask you, right? So <laughs> they get to the station early in the season and Danvers says, turn that shit off. I hate the Beatles. And she turns off Twist and Shout, right? Turns it yeah, off, wh- Tyler. Clark, <laughs> after he's running away from them, goes upstairs and he's in a manic state, but he's like, I got to turn Twist and Shout back on. <laughs> I got to turn that shit back on. Yeah, dude. I know. That made no s- The Twist and Shout, like, relevance of that song, they intimate that it was playing when they the replayed- car didn't happen. Yeah, right? but they also but- replayed the scene with Wheeler and he was whistling it. He was whistling Twist and Shout, so... Yeah, the, the fact that that was on again, I mean, I'm even ignoring the fact that, like, you had to move something out of the yeah, way right? to get up to the hatch. And they're, like, right on his ass. And yeah. he, like, moves that whole thing, moves it back, climbs upstairs. And they're, like, where do you go? It's, like, yeah. that. Why is I he mean, playing like, Twist and Shout, dude? He went upstairs and was, like, going to high. was, like, you know what? I'm going to turn on Twist and Shout. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Let's I love this song. It's going to get her going. She loves it. Yeah. <laughs> um. So... Obviously, one of our big gripes in episode four at the end was the ear bleeding. They do call it back. You said that they would. Now, here's the thing, Tyler. This is actually isn't as pissing me off as you would think, because to me, the symbolism to that is she is listening. When she's listening, her ear bleeds, right? That's what I'm thinking, right? So she sees her sister in episode four. Yeah, it's just a scream, but she's listening The ear bleeds. Then her ear bleeds right before her mom talks to her and tells her her name. It shows it specifically. So I'm <laughs> guessing that the answer is that the ear wasn't ruptured by the scream of the ghost. It just means when she's actually listening. Whatever. Anything supernatural for Navarro, I allow. You can do that if you want. Like, even mm-hmm. the scene where Navarro's trying to bring the power back and it's the lights are going on and off and you see the ghost in the corner and it's supposed to be scary but there's no reason to show it you know i guess it's the sister it could be the mom just like a quick like hey we're scaring you kind of thing i mean those things are fine but yeah again that was one of our big questions and i guess they answered it by saying that when she's listening her ear bleeds maybe yeah i get i mean episode four is the stinker of the season in totality like because nothing that really materialize at the end paid off besides finding poor Otis Heiss. Jim, before we get into Otis Heiss, because I have a little something planned for, okay, for the, yeah, for the finale it. of our pod. Is there any other supernatural things you want to touch no, on? No, I mean, I feel like I hit it enough. I feel like everyone listening, even though I have other things to list, I feel like you understand my gripe. You understand where I'm yeah. coming from. I've been saying it this entire season, and I feel like the finale just proved partially of what I was saying correct. Okay. Well, America's favorite night boys game show, Ask the Right Fucking Questions, may be over because the questions have been answered. But I want to hit you with, I'm going to steal something from the Ringer universe, a a couple categories, because I think it's a funny thing to consider. Okay. So Jim, I'm going to put you on the spot, then I'll give you my answer. Who do you think won this season of True Detective Night Country? Who won? Who won? What character is the winner of this season? 
Who won this season, Tyler? I would say that the Night Ladies won. They got their justice. They got their vigilante justice. They literally come in, kill eight scientists or seven or whatever the hell it is, get away with it, tell two cops to their face, this is our story, we're going to admit what we did, come freaking cuff us if you want, and then get away with it straight up. That's a good one. I'm going to go with Leah, who got to get away with everything. She is... She's going to hit a cop, be in jail. She's going to spray paint stuff. And at the end of the day, she's going to get her tattoo the way she wanted. And she's just <laughs> not going to even really know what happened and just be living a sweet life. So yeah. I think I'm going to give it to our girl, Leah, who, you know, really just got to live out that teenage angst part of her life before our eyes and nothing really bad happened to her. So that, <laughs> I'm going to give it to her All well, right. on the same vein, Jim, who lost the season? Topic. Kavik lost, man. Now, if you want me to be dead serious, Petey freaking lost big time, I would say. I I mean, like- so give me Kavik. Why did Kavik lose? Kavik lost because he's the freaking man. He's one of the only characters in this entire season that, you know, we joked that like Petey was pure. Kavik was pure, man. Pure intentions. Petey, yes, but he, he ended up having a, a kill shot at the end of his season. So Kavik, all he cared about was Navari. All he cared about was taking care of Navarro. He would have done anything for her. He gives his SpongeBob toothbrush to her, man. I know he gets it back, but then he loses his girl after all that. He said, come back to me. Danvers said, come back to me. You know, she said, come back, and Navarre came back to the cabin, whether she's alive or not. Leah, my winner, also told Danvers to come back, and she came back. And Kavik said, come back to me, and she did not come back to him. She sandbagged him. He's lost. Yeah. He's going to be living the tub life for a long time. Yeah, it's going to be a long tub life for my boy Kavik. I'm going with my biggest loser is Otis Heiss. So poor Otis Heiss. (laughs) So this guy, the only value in his character existing in the first place and being blind and the ear thing is to provide somebody that's similar to the Salal scientists so that you get a link for the ice caverns. So they couldn't have decided that like something else happened to them. They had to make this guy blind. They made <laughs> this guy a meth addict. And then yep. after all of that, he gets fucking shot. He took to the chest <laughs> POD style. Right. So I'm going to say Otis Heist just had a shitty existence. Yeah, that's true. Um, that's true. Who do you think? is the most underrated character in this show. And then I got one more after this. Underrated okay. character. The most underrated character. Well, I mean, is Pete underrated? What do you mean underrated? Like his abilities or like... Or it's up like to the... you, man. I like where you're going. Yeah, okay. Then I'm going Petey 100% because Danvers and Navarro, Navarro 100% just keeps calling him the rookie and the young one over and over and over, not giving any props pretty much. He gives him props here and there, but pretty much nothing he is the true detective besides the justice ladies he's the true detective i said it last episode he 100 percent moved the plot for the entire murder mystery until the end until the finale you know you were right he had his finale in episode five pretty much you know he his story ended in episode five he kills his dad yes he has a couple things to do he has to say goodbye and all that really quickly and make up with with kayla but Otherwise, his story ended in episode five. So, yeah, I think he was the most underrated. He was the most capable detective of all of them. You know, maybe Danvers has better wisdom skills that you'll see on the spot when you're checking out a crime scene. But Petey did everything, man. Petey found everything, whether it was the Tuttle, the Silver Sky, the 
uh, any of that kind. That's fair. Yeah, I think uh, for underrated, I actually had Petey written down as well. Um, okay. You can't sleep on the true detective, man. The guy is the pupil, but he he came to play, and he was yeah. ever vigilant. And you know, at the end of the day, he he got Kaylin. <laughs> he was able to tell her this this is what I'm doing. <laughs> Darwin <laughs> lost this season, man. All he wanted to do is draw some monsters, and instead, he gets freaking his parents just making love in front of them pretty much <laughs> yeah you get scarred for life and then my so my last question is the most overrated character in the show i'll start off on this one all right I'm gonna, I'm gonna make it the fat old scientist from salal okay <laughs> i don't buy for one second that this so you know what guy i'm talking about in the first scene of the show he's the guy with the towel on yeah. and then when they all jump back from the brutal murder he's the one that's mostly like Oh my God, I can't believe what I did. Overrated, man. That guy, I don't know what he was contributing to the Salal project, but he didn't contribute <laughs> shit to this show. I'll tell you that right now. All I didn't right. Well, for one second, he was involved in any of this. Yeah. Let me go with Oliver Tagak then, because <laughs> I intentionally didn't want to take Oliver. Yeah. So you could take that one. Yeah. So Oliver Tagak, man. <laughs> Uh, he was the Night Boys' most overrated character. He was the Night Boys had him pegged, man. We knew he stomped her out with those shoes, dude. We <laughs> knew it. Um, that was tough. Yeah, I mean, look, the Oliver Degak piece, as funny as it is, he's one of the few like strings that actually became better to me with the finale because if we look at his character, what he did was one show us this world of people that are natives to. Ennis that are involved in Sawal but not documented. And that kind of rolls through with the Justice Ladies at the end. It rolls through with Otis Heiss. But also, he leaves them a warning. And he did have a good tell when he said Lund is dead because it was almost like he was respecting Lund the yeah. most. Right. That's what I took from it. So it was like, oh, that was also like him saying like Lund doesn't fuck around and now we know Lund is the murderer of Annie right, K, right? Right. So I will say he's definitely the Night Boy's most overrated character. Yeah, 100%. 100% <laughs> man. He wasn't even there during No, no. I mean he's got he's got about as much screen time in this as uh as our boy Hugh Howie had in in Silo. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> like, <laughs> so, yeah. well, I think that's a nice capper. Um and just putting a bow on it, uh, a show that I do not regret watching or going on this journey with you at all, yep. but ultimately, in my mind, a really solid story that brew both direction and, you know, six episode seasons, unfortunately fell a little bit short to me. Right. And what execution it, what, and just, but yeah, it's like, uh, you know. I'm a huge NBA draft fan, and this is like, you know, the five-star recruit that has all the potential in the world, goes in the top 10, and just doesn't... He's a journeyman. You know, just, he's a journeyman. He's just never, yeah. he's, ne he's never getting where you want him to go. Maybe he has flashes. He, <laughs> this shows the Cam Reddish of Prestige TV. <laughs> yeah, I stand by the fact that I really do think that this show will be a better binge watch. I'm sure at some point in my life, I'll rewatch it as a binge we're binge town TV. I mean, you know, that's what we do. But like I said in the beginning, the weeks in between caused more problems than they were worth. Um, I agree with you. I had a blast covering this with you, man. 
it made it even more fun to watch is because I knew we were going to be talking every week and talking to all the fans and, and the listeners and everything. Um, I don't regret watching it at all. I agree. Seven out of 10 is, I don't agree with people that were saying like, it's disgusting. It's trash. It's the worst thing that ever happened to true detective. I actually read the ringer blog, Tyler, um, before we went on. And I really enjoyed one of the last questions that was asked. And maybe I'll ask you, the question was, was this a step forward for True Detective or did it hurt True Detective or neither? Did this kill True Detective? You know, because people think it killed it. Now, listen, I don't know the people in the ringer. I don't listen to them enough to know anyone by name, except obviously the big dogs. But, um, you know, some of the answers were, first of all, True Detective will never die. You can use True Detective and put it on HBO and people are going to watch because it's assumed to be Prestige TV. It's True Detective. So no, they didn't. Was it a step forward? I think you already answered that question. You put it behind season three. I would assume, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, that it was a step back. I'm saying in totality, what I don't want to minimize is, again, my gripes with this season are more from the direction of things, but from the storytelling aspect and something that is really important about this season is that this gave more of a voice to women and to a native people where um, I think someone said it in our discord, but like if you rewatch season one or season two, like you're going to see the misogyny, the, the things that exist, which part of that is the writing of the show. Part of that is actually trying to be like, that's really what nineties <laughs> detective work was like. So I don't want to like put it in broad strokes of like, this took a huge step back or this took a step four. Like this show deserves to be in the true detective pantheon, mm -hmm. but it failed to live up to the storytelling and directorial prowess that I think season one and season three have over it. I don't want to blast it because it did some things really well, but yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's listen. It. If True Detective season 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 came out, I'll watch every single one. And I, I'm very much a hypocrite because I haven't seen season 3 because of how season 2 was. So I will be watching season 3 immediately. I don't know if you want to talk about this quickly, Tyler, but people are asking us if we should cover other seasons. We don't have to make decisions right now on the pod, but there are members of Binstown TV that have never seen it, whether we want to make, you know, us the veterans and them the rooks, or even maybe do season three and I'm the rook and you're the vet and just go there. Could be fun to rewatch season two and see how we really feel about it. Things like that. We'll <laughs> talk about it. Guys, if you want us to do it, hit us up. Let us know. The Night Boys will live on forever, okay? <laughs> yeah, I think what this did most importantly for, for me is just reignite all of the greatness of this true detective series. And like Jim said, hit us up on, you know, Twitter or the discord or what have you, if you, if you're interested, but I think there might be, uh, it might be fun to, yeah. I don't think we should by any means go episode by episode through right. them, but do synopses of, you know, the season one, season two, season three, given that some of our co-hosts over here haven't seen them yet. I think that could be fun. And, and also just kind of, Everybody that watched this, whether you loved it, whether you were so-so on it, whether you didn't like it, it made you reignite your passion for the True Detective series. I can say that firsthand because my buddy uh, Andrew and I have been – my buddy from work, Andrew. I have a couple of Andrews out there, so, <laughs> but we've been re-watching – 
funny YouTube clips from the first season, like uh, when Reggie Ledoux is found out and the and the inmate is talking about Reggie Ledoux. And that clip, I think since True Detective Night Country came out, went from like a thousand views on YouTube to like 18,000 views on YouTube. <laughs> so there's a lot of other people that are reminiscing yeah. about the show like us. So right. let us let us know. But I have a, I have a good feeling about it. Yeah. All right. Great. So, guys, if you like what you heard, check us out, BingetownTV.com. The True Detective feed, we're sure we'll be posting some more in it, like we just said. But if you want to find everything else that we're covering, me and Tyler, we covered Silo. Me and Tyler will be covering stuff again in the future, obviously. Um, There are six other hosts for Bingetown, plus a couple special guests just like Tyler. We cover a lot of TV shows. So just check us out at BingetownTV.com or search TV on any of your favorite podcast apps. Hit that subscribe button. It means a lot to us. And we'll see you soon. Um, Coming up, we have Shogun. We have Avatar The Last Airbender. We're currently covering Masters of the Air. So we have a lot going on. So BinstownTV.com has everything there for you. Once again, we are Binstown TV. And thank you so much for listening. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.